So first I want to say, hey, as a people here at Antioch, we often say we are a people with a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the earth. That is who we are. Amongst anything else, we are saying, hey, we have found Jesus to be the person that speaks identity into us. We are all about him. He's brought us into relationship with God who tells us who we are. And as a people, we are all about Jesus and what he's doing in this earth. And secondly, right, what we are about, our vision, is gospel saturation. And when I say that, I'm referring to kind of what we see often in the Bible. Habakkuk 2.14. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. As waters, as the waters cover the sea. Right, do the waters cover the sea? Yes, that's kind of like obvious, right? It's completely covering it because it is made of water. That is the vision of God, right? And our vision as a church is gospel saturation. As it says in Acts chapter 4, you've filled the city with his teaching. That is our vision for the city of Beverly and for the North Shore area. Is that Every man, woman, and child in this area would have repeated opportunities to hear, see, and know Jesus, to encounter him and to hear the gospel. Every man, woman, and child, repeated opportunities. Okay? That's our vision as a people. Anybody want to get behind that vision? Come on. And so I want to, I want to come over here. This is, this is the mission statement of our church. Okay? This is, guys, this is how this happens. On the basic level, if you boil it down, anytime you see a move of God in history, it happens around these three things. Oftentimes, one of them really being a strength in that area. We want to be a people who love God passionately, who, who, who live lives of deep prayer, deep prayer lives, deep connection to God, that we are in this state of just being in love with God. We've encountered him. And our whole life is just spent glorifying him, enjoying him, rejoicing in the victory of Jesus. And when people have done that in history, they've seen movements of God. The Moravians, the Welsh Revival, um, Hebrides, many other places where people have given themselves to worship and prayer. We see the gospel expand. Secondly, sharing life. This is where we give ourselves to living the life of Jesus with other people right? Living in community. So we are discipling one another and living the Sermon on the Mount out. We're living lives of love and living lives of investment in one another and those around us, both in the church and in our neighborhoods, right? Our places of work. The early church is the best example of this. They were huge on training people. They wouldn't baptize people until they saw the life of Jesus lived out in them. They said, well, we're not going to let you call yourself a Christian until we see Jesus in you. I'm not saying that that's the theology that everyone needs to hold, but they had such a high value, right, of living life together and with their neighbors, right? The Christians were known for the ones that would rescue babies that were left out to die. They were the ones that were known for caring for the sick and entering into a place of sickness, risking their own lives, right, of catching that infection and caring for those that were destitute, caring for the poor. The Christians became known as the ones that lived out the Sermon on the Mount. And what happened? The church expanded through the Roman Empire in those first 300 years by just taking it over. A move of God happens when we learn to share life, discipling and loving one another, investing in the people around us. Amen? 
And thirdly, hey, proclaiming Jesus, okay? This is something that is happening all around the world today where there is, where there is rapid growth of the gospel, mostly in Muslim countries where people have never heard the message about Jesus being Savior and forgiver of our sins, okay? Where there is rapid seed sowing, we see the gospel expand. And we want to get good at all three of these things, to give God the chance to move. And again, on this third one, I want to say, hey, oftentimes it starts with preaching the gospel to ourselves. Right? A move of God happens when we really say, yes, I do believe what the Bible says. Yes, I do believe that I am a child of God. Yes, I do believe everything written in that blessing. I really believe that in a deep level about myself, it becomes impossible not to share Jesus with others. Right? And not only, come on. I'm getting crazy here, right? Come on. And not just proclaiming the gospel to people, but proclaim, 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 speaking the gospel. That's my best Porky Pig impression right there. Speaking the gospel to the systems and structures in our communities, right? The gospel needs to be preached to all creation, as it says in the book of Mark. Not just to souls, but also to systems so that righteousness and justice would rule on the earth. This is the mission that we're after right here. So that the vision of God, right, would happen. That the, that the glory of God would fill the earth, right? That gospel saturation would happen not just in our city in this area, but around the world. So, hey, if you're new here, there's a little lengthy explanation. This is what we are about. And I just want to say more and more, that's not just us. Like, we're the special, this special church is doing this. This is what the church of God is happening. The church of God is moving forward on mission. Can you just say that in America, too? It's going to happen. Okay, we're just declaring that we are, we, statistics show we are in decline, and we are saying, no, God, let's believe for a move where the church is now, again, expanding and taking ground in our country. All right. But above all else, let's just start where we, where we, where we, where we, where we let's end where we started here. Okay? This never changes. I'm a child of God. I'm resting in the finished work of Jesus, and so I've got a passion for Jesus and his purposes. It all comes back to who we know we are in Jesus, okay? All right, now we can do the sermon. <laughs> We're gonna remind you of that a little more. I just feel like the Lord brought that to my mind this week and said, hey, Brian, give him some vision, okay? But this is what we are doing as a people. So your life, your life matters. Do not give in to the discouragement that we're not seeing anything happen. Every time you pray, it's impossible for nothing to happen. Every little prayer you say, that little step of faith just to engage with a neighbor or to share even just a piece of the gospel, right, or to reach out to somebody in need, any of these things that you are doing, it's making a step forward of the kingdom of God. We have to believe that. We're not giving in to discouragement. Jesus is on the move, and he's got power. And he's, and he's, he's waiting for the church to, to get hungry again for the things that he's given us to do. All right? Okay? Let's keep doing those things. It's going to get good. It will. Okay? already is. All right. Okay, remember, if you want a good sermon, you got to participate. Okay? This is a community. Let's pray. Lord, you are so much bigger than we realize and so much better than we often think. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just come as we deal with a difficult subject, again, in this book of Lamentations that you've given us in the Bible. 
I just invite you to speak and help us to open our hearts today to truth and into your presence. So Holy Spirit, speak truth. Give us faith. Help us to respond in faith and also let us encounter Jesus as we do that. Thank you, Lord. Last Sunday, as I was driving home, I turned on the radio and on came NPR. And there was a story about ghosting. Now, I'm not totally familiar with that, with that term, and maybe you weren't either because you're not, you know, I'm not very hip. Just throw it out there. Obvious, okay? Um, ghosting is, is referring to, like, when you kind of, like, ditch someone or leave them hanging or, like, plan to meet up, and then you just never show up. Or, kind of a macro level, you just cut off all communication with somebody. Just never talk to them again. So, not that pleasant, right? But the, the, art, the, the, the article, the, uh, what do you call it? A show? The production? The segment? Was about dating in New York City and kind of this new, this new kind of trend of ghosting people. So the one that stuck out to me was this guy was describing how he had ghosted this woman, this woman and uh, they met on the subway and kind of just got to talking, whatever, ended up exchanging phone numbers and kind of went out on that, on that first date. And as they're in the restaurant, they're talking, you know, the woman is sharing, uh, they're kind of getting to know each other, seems totally normal, kind of cool, and then she says that, oh, you know, I, I have pet rats. And he says, oh, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, they're really fuzzy and cute, and, you know, I, I actually bring them into my bed and I sleep with them at night. And at that point, he's kind of like, okay. She's like, yeah, I have to buy new sheets every week because they just eat through the sheets. And then he said, he, he finished there, and he said, ghosted. Meaning, at the end of that date, you know, he never contacted her again. She would text him, he wouldn't reply, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Now, I'm not saying that that is a good strategy for, for relationships, okay? Probably not. We're not really going there. What I do want to say is that oftentimes in our lives, we feel like God has ghosted us. Especially when we're in a place of a difficult season of our life, suffering, the loss of someone we love. It often feels like the God that maybe we had sensed before has just kind of cut off all communication. Sometimes maybe it's because in our lives we feel like there's, there's something wrong. We're doing something wrong. We're the lady with the rats. And we think God has freaked out and he said, you're a little too messy for me. And the question I want to do today to talk about is, you know, where is God? In the midst of suffering, in the midst of my own mess, in the midst of the loss of someone I've loved, when it feels like God's ghosted me, where is God? Where is he in the midst of my mess and the pain that I am experiencing? Now I want to remind you, we're talking about the book of Lamentations. Very difficult book. Especially if you read through it. Just dealing with hard things. But obviously, that's what we often deal with in life. Just why it's there in the Bible. And we're in the, in the midst of this word of 2019 that the Lord has given us to say, 
He's training us to rejoice always. That in every circumstance, God is calling us, this group of people, this little tribe, to say, guys, this is your journey right now. We're on a journey of gratitude. We're on a journey of learning to give thanks in all circumstances, to rejoice always in the Lord. Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hardship, we're learning how to do that as a people. If we can do that, the Lord is saying, we're moving forward in that direction. He's going to give us a vision in 2020, okay, of how to move forward as a people. Just clear things, specifics. I just really trust that this is where God is leading us. And so obviously, if we're going to learn to rejoice always, we've got to get real about the really difficult places in our lives. The, really, the, the, the places we don't maybe want to talk about or we've kind of hidden or pushed away at some point because it's just too painful. Or maybe you are just currently experiencing right now and hearing the word rejoice always just makes you go, wait, what are you talking about, buddy? That's why we're going here, guys. So again, the book of Lamentations, we've subtitled this, How to Worship While You Weep. And a little bit of background on this book, uh, written by an anonymous author, author. Some people attribute it to Jeremiah. Others think it's maybe someone that's contemporary of his, potentially a priest because of some of the language in the book. But it's happening during this destruction of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. The Babylonian Empire has come through. They're just wiping out kind of city-state after city-state. And they come to Jerusalem, and uh, through a series of events, there's just this horrible destruction of the city, as we've read just some of the horror of that in this book. The structure of the book is five poems. They're all acrostics, which means that... uh, each verse starts with like the letter, like so if it was English, it would have been A, then the next verse starts with the letter B, the next it starts with the letter C, until we get to chapter 5. And it's still, if you look in your Bible, as we will in a minute, it has 22 verses, because there's 22 verses in the Hebrew alphabet, so chapter 1 is 22 verses, chapter 2 has 22 verses, so on. Chapter 3 is an anomaly, they do three verses for each letter, so it's 66 verses. But chapter 5, we come to the end of the book, and the structure just breaks down. Because as you're going to read, as you'll, as you'll feel as we read this, the book ends without really resolution. This person is still in this pain, still crying out to God. There's not the perfect storybook ending. Okay? Which is going to speak something to us, I believe, even in, the, even in the structure of what's happening in this book. So if you've got a Bible... Open it up about two-thirds of the way, and you might hit Jeremiah. I did. And then it's the next book, okay, Lamentations. Or pull out your phone and just Google it, okay? It'll be up here as well if you want to just read on the screen. So this is Lamentations 5. We're going to start by reading verses 1 through 18, and then there's a little transition. We'll, We'll pick that up next, okay? Lamentations 5. Where is God in the midst of our suffering, pain, mess, our own sin? Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Just think about that. Everything you've saved, you want to pass on to your children. It's gone. Our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood, right, they're using for cooking, heating their homes, can only be had at a a price. 
Those who pursue us at our, at our heels, we are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread, just the sustenance for life at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders, their leadership, right? It's gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it. Again, we hear this pattern repeated in every chapter. The author is lamenting, just mourning, grieving, crying out the situation that he's in. He's getting real with the facts that he is experiencing. These things have happened, and he's emoting about it. He's getting his feelings out there. And note the difference between this and a heart of complaining, which Israel is rebuked for, or a heart of grumbling, is that he is going to God with these things. And that is the same for us in our situation. Okay? Complaining is when we're kind of doing this and talking bad about what's happening behind God's back. It's, it's, it's an accusation without going to him of saying, God, you're bad, right? You don't have power to resolve the situation. Whereas in this, we are seeing a different spirit, a biblical approach to what is difficult and is not just pretending it's not there and putting on a happy face and saying, rejoice always, yay, things are great. Praise God, brother. That's not what the Bible is telling us is okay. It is saying you need to get real with the hard things, the facts, but you're bringing them to God. That is the difference. And you're getting real about the emotions that you are experiencing, the facts and what you have felt because of that. And again, here in this, in this chapter, you, you hear the question in verse 1, God, God remember, God, remember, do, do you see what's happened? Where are you, God? Right, have, you, have you just left us forever? Is this question he's starting with. Verse 2, we're impoverished. Our inheritance is gone. Right? Our homes are owned by others. Verse 3, the men have all been killed, right? We're either fatherless or we're widows. We're being extorted, verses 4 and 5. People are, are taking advantage of the situation that we're in. We're being oppressed now. So it's not just that we've been conquered and ruled, but now it's this, there's this ongoing suffering because of this judgment that's come on the city because of their sin. They're, they're scrambling, verse 6, to try to get resources from other people. They're unable you, you, you feel the, the, uh, just the weight of poverty, right? The inability to provide for your own family. 
verse 7. Our ancestors' sins, they're looking back and seeing the hundreds of years of, of wickedness in their land. Child sacrifice, cult prostitution, oppression of the poor, and the alien, the foreigner. And they're saying, look at our ancestors' sin, and now we are bearing all of the, of the punishment for their sin. God, do you, do you see this? One thing as we're, as we're looking through this, again, I want to mention this again. Clearly in this book, they're not dealing with the question of why is this happening because they know why it's happening. God was warning them for hundreds of years. God brought this judgment from Babylon because of their sin. It just had to stop, okay? For probably just the pollution of the land itself, but also for the trajectory of God bringing Jesus into this world, something had to shift here, and God was warning them over and over again. For us, guys, that's not, that's not a one-to-one correspondence. If we're going through suffering, it is not, therefore, it's because I'm bad or I have sinned. Yes, when we sin, it has consequences. But because we're going through something hard does not mean it's the hand of God against you. That's not God's intent. Even as we read in, verse, in chapter 3, he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. We do not live in a karma universe. God is not trying to zap you anytime you do something wrong. Okay? Is there an amen out there? That is not the way God relates to us. Yes, there are consequences that God allows when we choose something wrong. And the thing that that the Lord is highlighting to us today is is that our sin, as we see in this passage, affects the community. Sin brings death. Oftentimes when we have sin in our lives, we think, well, it's only affecting me. No. Guys, it is affecting everyone that is in your life. If there's a sin in your life that you're struggling with, whether it's an addiction to something, maybe it's anger, pornography, whatever it might be, guys, that is affecting our whole community. And so this is not heavy-handed, well, you better get straight because you're hurting all of us. That's not what this is. This is just a sobering moment to say your life matters and the decisions that you make matter. And God has good things for you. He's calling you to repent that you would live, that you would experience life and that through your life, others would receive the life of God. That is God's intent whenever he calls us out on our sin. And if, if, you're, if you've got something that you're dealing with today that you've never told anyone before in your life, or just something that you, you haven't shared with people, God wants you to bring that into the light, that you would be healed. His kindness is what he's extending to you to lead you to a place of repentance. And let's just review what repentance is. It is not groveling before the Lord and begging for forgiveness. It is just saying, this is where I was, God, and now I am turning. I want to walk away from that. I am turning away from that. Lord, would you help me? I receive your forgiveness. You don't have to ask for it. It's already been offered. The gift is already there. You're not saying, God, please give me a gift. He's already holding the gift. God's saying, I am ready to forgive. That is why I gave my life. We just are receiving the forgiveness into our hearts. I Okay, 
This is, we don't have to grovel before the Lord. He's ready and willing to forgive. He's already, he's already provided that. So I just want to encourage you today. Just know that your life matters to the people around you. And God wants to bring life into you so that he can use that life that he's given you to bring it to other people. And let me just say this too. Sorry, pound the pulpit. You can't pound that pulpit. It doesn't pound. It just, it just goes down. <laughs> Jesus has the power to set you free. There is a lie that wants to say, what I am struggling with, I could never get free from. And that is a lie. Jesus can set you free. Jesus has power. Whom the Son sets free are free indeed. There is no, there is no pit that Jesus cannot get you out of. Oftentimes when... Uh, my wife and I are correcting our kids. We'll say something like, hey, what you are doing is negatively affecting all of us right now. Even in this microcosm of a family, when one of our kids right, demands their own way, they get really selfish, they say, no, I have to have this, and they start screaming, it affects everybody. This morning, I was probably not so skillfully dealing with Two of my kids, I won't name which ones. One of them was happily playing with this little thing, and the other one came over and wanted to be involved and you know, started screaming because I was trying to prevent that child from interacting and then trying to negotiate with the other one, and then they got angry and a fight ensued. You know, woke up Jade. It was, it was early in the morning. You know, it affects everybody. So again, the point of all of this I'm saying is, hey, come to God. He's got healing available for you, that he would bring life through you. All right, verse 8. Just going line by line here, all the way through 14. Just, here's a quick just summary of this. They're oppressed. They're in danger just getting food. and they're, they're, There's sickness, rape. They've executed their leaders. There's humiliation of the leaders that remain. They're forced labor. No leadership no one to look to in this situation. There's this, there's this sense of just total helplessness and hopelessness. And so what's the result emotionally? It says their joy is gone. The joy that they had has now turned into mourning. The crown has fallen. Probably referring to there's no honor or glory left or the fact that as we talked about last week, the Davidic king has been executed. There's this break, you know, that they're afraid of, that, you know, will the Messiah still come? Will God's promises still come true through David? Their hearts are faint. Their eyes are dim. There's no hope. All vitality is gone. Their pride and joy, Mount Zion, is now a desolation. As I've talked about in this series, the anxiety that I've, I've dealt with in my life, at one point, in, you know, in the darkest place of that, there was just this question of like, man, will this ever lift? And when days turn into weeks and weeks into months, and you're still feeling this weight on your chest like you can't take a deep breath, some are crying out, and, you know, is this just the reality for my life for the rest of my life? Is this was what my experience will now be? 
And that is the emotion in this passage. Will I ever get out of this? Will there ever be light at the end of this tunnel, or will it be darkness forever? So let's read the end of the book. Here's how it ends. Verse 19. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Okay, Siri wants to be involved here. All right, so pause. You, Lord, reign forever. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? God, I know you are reigning forever. Your throne endures for generation to generation. Why? Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? And then here's the plea and the question. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless, unless, unless you've utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. End of book. You feel where he's still at. And even in the structure of this book, where he's, he's just let this, the whole acrostic poem fall apart, he's ending still in this place of crying out to God, and he's not there yet. And guys, we're just saying, sometimes it's a long journey. Sometimes this is still where we feel, and the Bible is saying, that's okay. But here's what we can pick up on in these last few verses. There's two things happening in verse 19. The first is that the author is making an amazing, in this context, an amazing truth declaration. Back in the ancient Near East, this was the belief system. Each city, state, or local government or country, you know, this kind of thing's morphed, or empire, as the Babylonians were, had their own god. And when two of those would battle, the belief was whoever won Their God was the real God, their God was the stronger God, and their God had defeated the God of that other group. So in the midst of this, were the Babylonians, worshipers of the God Marduk, awful, terrible God, an awful God to serve. They defeated Israel. The author is saying, that doesn't mean anything. Because Yahweh is still God. He reigns forever, generation to generation, forever and always. God, you reign. I do not give in to the belief that this other God from this other nation, because we've been beaten, is now God and you are not. No, it's a truth declaration, right? That's that's an amazing statement in the midst of what this guy's experienced and the prevailing dominant theology of the day, so to speak. And secondly, it's this. It's worship. Anytime we declare truth about God, we are lifting our eyes off of our circumstances. Notice what he's looking at. He's looking at the throne room in heaven. He's saying this is the reality in the spiritual world is that God is on the throne. 
He's not surprised. He's not fooled. He is not hopeless or discouraged about our situation. He is ruling. And so even as he's weeping in this book, we see this little hint in one verse of a declaration of praise. And guys, this is key for us. To make it through suffering, we've got to get our eyes fixed on something outside of that. On something that is eternal. Something that will never change, which is the reign of God and the goodness of God. But obviously, he doesn't really get the resolution here. He's saying, God, but so I know that this is true about you, God, but so why are you still not fixing this problem? And the answer for us is, I don't know why. And actually having the answer doesn't solve that. Having the answer to the why this has happened doesn't bring the person back. Doesn't fix the medical condition you've been dealing with for years. It doesn't resolve it. Even if you knew the why, it doesn't bring the resolution. And so again, he's crying out in in his heart. He's still seeking the Lord. He's still living a life of prayer. God, come, rescue me. And he ends with this doubt, God, unless, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Sometimes we have those same doubts. God, have you ghosted me? Have you left me forever? If it's a place where you're dealing with the mess of your own sin, God, are you just so angry with me that you've just written me off and I'm on my own? We've got to turn somewhere else to get the answer to that question. But man, it's a beautiful answer. Just listen to this as I read from Isaiah. This is what Jesus read when he began his ministry. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, vengeance against God's enemies, to comfort all who mourn, comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Listen to this. The oil of joy instead of mourning. You hear the reversal where it was, the joy is gone and now all we have is mourning. Jesus is saying, this is what I am about. Turning the mourning back into joy. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Guys, Jesus entered our suffering so that he could end the suffering. Oftentimes, we want the suffering to end, but God has done it in a way that mystery of mysteries and actually beauty of beauty, he entered the suffering instead of just fixing it. That we, as we suffer, would know that God suffers alongside of us. It's the beauty of Jesus, but it's not going to end there. The end is not us being in despair. The end is hope. It is the end of all suffering. And it is a God who comforts us in the midst of it. And as chapter 5 ends in chaos, we know, guys, this world will not end in chaos. 
Because there's a king of heaven who now rules over earth. And his name is Jesus. The gospel is that Jesus, that God has become king. He is enthroned at the right hand of God. He has won victory over sin, the devil, and death. There's a victor in this universe, and his name is Jesus. He was raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of the Father. He rules and reigns forever. He has power, and his kingdom is coming, and he is coming again. It's Jesus. He is the answer. He's provided forgiveness for us, as we said before, it is death, grace through his resurrection to release the favor of God on this earth. And so two things. We can find joy in our sorrow now. Even if the suffering doesn't end, we can choose joy now if we can look to Jesus and see the man who's acquainted with grief and sorrow, suffering with us and promising divine life eternal life, the life of God now. And secondly, we can rejoice in the end, that one day all the suffering will end. And guys, that takes a step of faith. Faith to believe that God is really good and he is with you. But that unlocks heaven to come into your circumstances. So here's the real kicker for us. When we are in pain and we are suffering or we're in despair, hopelessness, the, the, the trick or the temptation is to exalt that pain or the relief of pain above our relationship with God. It's to say, God, you have to do this or I'm not going to follow you or I'm not going to open my heart to you or as we talked about last week, I'm going to keep you at arm's length. Or turn my back on you. The challenge in the place of difficulty is to say, okay, God, I want relief of pain. This is awful. But I want relationship with you more than that. And so I'm going to believe, Jesus, that you have entered suffering with me and that one day you will end it. And I will walk this journey of friendship with you even in the midst of suffering. Let's have the worship team come back up. When it all boils down, the answer to our question of where is God and has he ghosted me is he is right here and he will never leave you or forsake you. There's nothing else that you hear today. It is a challenge to believe that you can find God. Seek him, the Bible says, and you will find him if you seek him with your heart. In other words, if you open up the pain to him. Guys, we can find God in the midst of our suffering. It may not fix everything. The pain might not ever go away. But in the midst of that, we can find him as one who would enter the suffering with you, feel it and experience it with you, and be there in that place. What an amazing God that we serve. Let's stand. Here's how we're going to respond today. Just kind of two things. Uh, I would invite the prayer team to come forward. And just say, hey, if there's something in your life, 
sin, addiction, something that, that, that you need to deal with, I just would challenge you to come forward or to seek someone out on the sides and get prayer for that. So that's one main response today. Bring it into the light. There's grace for you today. God is not mad. He wants to welcome you back. Or just deal with what's in there with, with kindness bringing you back to repentance. The second thing is just, hey, if you're in this place where you feel like you cannot find God, like you would say, God, you've ghosted me. You've left me alone. We want to pray for that. We want you to even today, right now, to experience the power of God, that he's with you in that, and just to know in your heart of hearts, even if you can't rationalize what's going on, to know that God is with you. We want to pray for that. So if either one of those things or anything else that you please come forward, kneel down at the front, or find someone on the sides to pray with. Okay? There's no, there's no shame in coming forward. We all need the Lord. We all need help from each other. So come. Holy Spirit, now I just invite you to move. Lord, let every heart be open right now to what you want to do. I just push back any shame, guilt that would keep us from responding in this room. And I just say, heaven, come down right now. Holy Spirit, fill this room. Thank you, God.